Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. We're looking at verses 34 through 40 this morning. Now, we've been in the midst of our series, Who We Are, just taking a look at who we are as a church at First Bastrop. And last week, we finished up with our core values with missions mentality or mission mentality. And so we, we want to be on mission. And so we talked about a, a, an initiative that we, we have, we want to focus on this year, the Find Your One. And so make sure, I just want to remind you, to find your one, right? We want to influence Bastrop. We want to see uh, people throughout Bastrop, families throughout Bastrop, transformed by the power of the gospel. But we can't do that unless we engage them with the gospel. And so our mission is to, to take the gospel to our community, to Bastrop and to Morehouse Parish, and we want to see the lost come to know Jesus. But we don't do that by, by this broad kind of thing where we're just going out as a group and do this event and that event, but we do it by one person, one family at a time. So you, dear Christian, as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given a mission to share the gospel with the lost, to share what Christ has done in your life with the lost. And so find your one, not your whole neighborhood, not the entire city, but one. Find your one. Begin praying for that one. And if you haven't figured out who that one is, just begin to pray that God would show you who that one is. That one person he wants you to invest in to love, to care for, so that you can share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. So find your one. Now today, we are looking at our mission, our actual mission. And so we're going to break it down. Of course, what is our mission, family? Love God, love one another, and love our world. And so that's what we are called to do. And we're going to look at our mission today and break that down so that we understand it fully. Zig Ziglar once said, Outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. An absolute sense of mission. You know, Jesus Christ exemplified that with his life, didn't he? When he came, he had one mission. He had a mission to accomplish, and he came and he, he set his mind to accomplish that mission above anything and everything else. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in loose gospel, loose gospel can be broken down into to, to two halves. Chapters 1 through 9 begin the story of Jesus, and, and it kind of explains who Jesus is. And then when you get to verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 51, there's a turning point in the gospel. And now we get to see why Jesus came. So the first part of Luke, who Jesus is. The second half of Luke, why he came. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is to go to the cross, be crucified, buried, and raised again. When it came time for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. Now, that, that term there, set his face, uh, it, it's a very strong word. 
It's not just like he kind of, you know, all right, I'm going to go, you know, just kind of ease that way. He set his face. He was absolutely determined, absolutely resolved to go to Jerusalem because his mission would be accomplished in Jerusalem. He was absolutely determined to fulfill the mission that the Father had given him to accomplish. Now, if our Lord and Savior had such resolve to accomplish the mission given him, how much more ought we as his church, bought and redeemed by his blood, how much more ought we be resolved, determined to accomplish the mission that God has given us to accomplish? Today, we are looking at our mission, First Bastrop exists to love God, love one another, and love our world. And we see this, and there's three parts of that mission. And so today we're going to look at each one of those parts. And I pray that as we examine each part, that, uh, that we gain an absolute sense of mission. That we would be so resolved, so determined to fulfill our mission here in Bastrop. That all of Bastrop notices that church is on a mission. So as we begin today looking at Matthew, and I know this is kind of different when we talk about the mission, our mission. Uh, typically we go to Matthew 28 or, 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 or Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but today we're going to kind of take a different angle at this. We're going to talk about Matthew 28, but we're going to begin in Matthew 22 and look there. And just kind of to lay the context here, we looked at this uh, account a few weeks ago, back there, first part of March, we, we looked at Mark's account of the event that we're looking at today. And, and you, if you remember back then, back a few, about a month ago, uh, as we looked at this, uh, the, the, the religious leaders and the civil leaders of Jerusalem, they're coming to Jesus to test him. I mean, they don't like Jesus. He is challenging their way of life. He is, a, he is challenging their authority. So they're coming to test him. And so first came the Herodians and the Pharisees. And they test him by asking these questions about taxes and, and trying to, to bring a split between his disciples by asking him these questions about taxes. And then the Sadducees followed up that, that questioning with the questions about the resurrection. And so that was a debated issue in the day. So again, they're just trying to, to bring conflict in amongst Jesus' disciples to, to draw people away from him. And so they're asking all of these questions. And now we come to this text that we're looking at. We're going to focus. We looked at all three texts last time. But today we're just focusing in on this one, Matthew 22, verse 34. So if you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Father, we just pray that our minds will be attentive to the message you have for us here today. Write your truth eternally on our hearts. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at our mission, our mission statement, uh, we break it down into those three parts. And the first part is love God, love God, and that we love God through gospel-centered living. We love God through gospel-centered living. Now I'm going to read the paragraph, and these paragraphs that describe our, our, our mission, it's on the back of your, your, cop, your notes there. So if you want to read along with me, you can just flip over there. So love God through gospel-centered living. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God against our sin to reconcile us to God and was raised again, guaranteeing a new life in him for all who believe. The way to restoring our lives and our families is to turn away from our self-serving, world-centered lifestyles experience the transforming power of the gospel, and surrender our lives to Christ. Now, as we look at our text this morning, our text begins with that very, that very phrase there, love God. As Jesus is asked about which is the greatest commandment of all, which is the greatest commandment of all, he says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another text say, with all your strength. In other words, love God with all that you have. And that's what we're called to do. That's why God created us, to, to have a relationship with him, to, to experience his love for us, and to, to love him and honor him and worship him. Now the problem is that sin came into the world. Our, our sin, our rebellion against God has caused our relationship with God to be broken. When God created the heavens and the earth, he, he established us in a relationship with Him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, and we there sinned right along with them, it broke that fellowship. It broke that relationship. In our natural condition, we can't love God. We see that in the text, don't we? As you back up to those, those uh, former uh, texts there, when I'm talking about the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to test Jesus. The Sadducees, they came to test Jesus. The Pharisees and this lawyer, they came to test Jesus. Why? Because they didn't love Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus. Because Jesus came and he... he he tested their way of life. He challenged their way of life. They had built a, a mighty empire for themselves through their education, through their learning, through having authority over others. And so they were exalted by men. And they loved their position. They loved their position. They loved their titles. They loved all of that. And so when the very Son of God comes and challenges that, And begins to show them that they really didn't love God. 
They love their position of authority over God. When he began to challenge that, they began to, to chase after Jesus, not to love him, not to learn from him, but to destroy him. Dear friend, that's our lives. Unless we are changed by God, unless our hearts are transformed to, to come to life, to, to see God and know God, we hate God. Because God challenges everything that we think is good about ourselves. Our whole world tells us that, that who's number one in your life? I am. Right? We're all to be about myself. I'm to, to build up myself. I'm to, do, to, to exalt myself and to improve myself. Self-help books all over the place, right? It, it's all about me and my life. The world tells us that we're to strive for greatness no matter who we might run over in the process because you're the most important person. But Christ comes to challenge that. We're not the most important. God is. Our Creator who gives us life, who, who sustains our life, He is the most important. And we're to give all of our love and our care to Him first and foremost. Luke chapter 18 tells a, uh, of an event there as Jesus is, is teaching. Uh, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he has a question for him, for him. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he, the rich young ruler, said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, when we began to think about, oh, oh, my accomplishments, look at all I have accomplished. Wouldn't God want to be in a relationship with me because of all that I accomplished? Oh, we can build ourselves up. But as this rich young ruler, I mean, he thought he, was, he had lived a good life, right? He wasn't as bad as his, his friends and neighbors, right? He was living a pretty good life. But Jesus challenged him because Jesus knew his idol. His, idols, his idol was his riches. He loved his riches. He loved his money. He loved his possessions far more than he loved God. So when Jesus said, you got to let go of your riches, let go of your idols, let's let go of what you find so much value in and cling to me, the Son of God. Follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go. The passage goes on to say that the disciples, they looked at this and they said to Jesus, who, who then can be saved? If this guy who had it all together, if he couldn't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says, it's impossible with man. But what's impossible with man is not impossible with God. God can change us. He can transform us. 
He can cause us to let go of our idols if we trust in Him. So we are called, dear friends, to love God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means to devote our entire lives to Him, to turn our lives over to Him. Notice there's two parts to that. First, we have to repent from our way of doing things. You have to repent from your way of doing things. You've been seeking your own life, your own greatness, your own hopes and desires apart from God. But Jesus says, turn away from that. Turn away from it like the rich young ruler. Turn away from your idol. Quit clinging to the things of this world and turn to Jesus. Trust in Christ. Follow Christ. We must repent from, you must repent from your way. And second, you must surrender to Christ. You have to surrender to Christ. The way to restoring our lives and our families is to turn away from our self-serving, world-centered lifestyle Experience the transforming power of the gospel and surrender. Surrender our lives to Christ. Let me ask you, dear friend, have you surrendered your life to Christ? I'm not talking about just believing Him. There are many people who believe in Him who will stand before Him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in Your name? Didn't we come to church in Your name? Didn't we sing hymns and songs to Your name? Didn't we go out and do missions in Your name? Didn't we do all of these things in Your name? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because they knew Jesus. But they had never trusted him and surrendered to him have you surrendered to christ if you surrender your life to christ he will change you he will transform you he will give you a new life love god through gospel centered living dear friend what What is keeping you from loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What is it? What's that thing that's keeping you from loving God? Let me tell you, it's not worth it. Let it go. And surrender to Jesus. So we are to love God through gospel-centered living. Second, we are to love one another through gospel-centered community. We're to love one another through gospel-centered community. Jesus says the second greatest commandment is like unto it. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. We believe that Christ also died to reconcile us to one another. The church is a new creation in Christ. Each member is equipped by the Holy Spirit with gifts in order that we may serve one another. And so that the whole body might function and grow together in Christ. We are to love one another, bear one another's burdens, and stir up one another to love and good works. We are called to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the second and great, second great commandment. Next to loving God. And in fact, that's one way that we show our love for God, is to follow His commandments and love others as we love ourselves. 
And, and that begins, first of all, it begins at home. It begins at home in the family. Because God created the family as that first place, that first unit, uh, uh, that first place of unity where we're to, to love one another and forgive one another and, and live life together. We're to bear burdens at home, at the family, in the family. But then outside of that, as we go out further, think of those concentric circles, right? The family first, and then, then go out from there. It's the church. God has put us together. He, he died on the cross. Christ died on the cross, not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to one another so that we can forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven us. So that when we have those times of troubles and heartbreaks and heartaches, we can go to one another, we can forgive one another, we can we love one another, bear up one another. When, when we're going through hard times, we can go through them not alone, but together. The church is, is just the, the extended family. I mean, we're just one big happy family. That's what we're created to be, the family of God. And so we're to love one another through gospel-centered community. That means, first of all, mutual investment in one another. There's a mutual investment in one another. I had some buddies of mine back years ago, and uh, there was three of us, and, and we would often get together just usually about once a week. We would just have lunch together. And we would go to whichever restaurant we, would, we chose for the day. And, and we kind of got into this little cycle of where, uh, you know, one week I would pick up the check, the next week another buddy would check, pick up the check, and the next week the other buddy would pick up the check. And so we would just cycle that along. And, and so there was a, a mutual investment there, right? We were all paying in to one another. So we didn't worry about it if it was a dollar more this week than last week or what, because it all worked out in the end. There was a mutual investment investment there but now what can you imagine if if one of us decided well I'm not going to pick up the check I'm not going to do that anymore well, well then what is it what what has become then you know it, it's just not fair <laughs> and, and unfortunately that's often what we see in church 10% of the people do 90% of the work while everybody else just comes and kind of sits and, and they absorb and it's all about me. I'm, I'm about getting my desires and getting my desires fulfilled and, and getting my uh, mind filled. And, and then you go home and, and you don't think about the church anymore. There's no mutual investment. But God didn't call us to come together so that some get filled and some get left out. He called us together. He equipped us with the Holy Spirit with gifts to work together, to cooperate together. And when we function together, when everybody is, is pitching in and, and just doing their part and there's this mutual investment in one another, then the church grows spiritually and usually numerically as well, right? But more importantly, the spiritual growth. We, we grow to maturity together as we invest in one another. There's a mutual investment. Second, there's a mutual concern. There's a mutual concern for one another. We care about one another. That statement in there, we bear one another's burdens, right? 
Man, sometimes we, we have people in our, our congregation, they're going through a hard time. When they lose a loved one. When tragedy takes place. Lose a job. And, and, and God gives us those opportunities to come in and to bear burdens, to, to share those burdens, to come in and support one another and care for one another. There's got to be that mutual concern for one another. With that, with that mutual concern also comes this. We understand that we are still sinners. And when sinners come together, uh, there's going to be conflict because there's so many difference, uh, differences of, of opinion, right? We're not going to agree on everything. So there is going to be conflict as long as we live in this world, this fallen world. But you see, that's the beauty of it because we get, even in the midst of conflict, when conflict occurs, that's our chance to show the world the forgiveness of Christ as we forgive one another. So there's a mutual concern for one another. And third, there's this mutual encouragement. There's mutual encouragement. We, we encourage one another. We build one another up. And Acts Acts chapter 2, the early church gives a great example of this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Oh, they, man, they were selling things, right? They had all things in common. And they weren't just selling them to get rid of it, right? Not just selling them to get rid of the earthly things, but they were selling because they saw people who needed something. There were people in their midst who had a, a need, and they had the means to meet that need. And so they, they did whatever they had to do to meet the need. They were loving one another. They were bearing one another's burdens. They were encouraging one another. And the next text goes on to say, and God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, when the body of Christ is the body of Christ, God blesses. And he does great and wonderful things. Dear church, we're called to love one another. We're called to love one another even as we love ourselves. And so let me just encourage you. If you're not involved in a life group, get involved in a life group. Because in life group, that's where the body is the body and the church is the church. When we come in here, it's hard to get to know everybody in the church, but when you break it down to just 12, 15 people, oh man, you can really begin to invest in one another. Get involved in a life group because that's where we really begin to live out all the more loving one another. So we are to love God through gospel-centered living. Love one another through gospel-centered community. And third, we are to love our world through gospel-centered outreach. 
We're to love our world through gospel-centered outreach. Think about that concentric circle again. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to love God. He's right at the center of the circle. We're to love our neighbor, and our first neighbor is our family. Our second neighbor is our church, and our third neighbor is our world. And so we at First Bastrop, we are on a mission to love our world through gospel-centered outreach. Now, the question has been asked, and, and it's a good question. Well, aren't we not supposed to love the world? I mean, doesn't Scripture say something about not loving the world? And yes, you are correct. And so let's define that and make sure we understand what we mean by love our world. Because the Bible uses that term world and different, to mean different things. And so there's three typical meanings in the Scripture for the world. First of all, it's creation, the world that, that God created, this celestial ball, right, the planet Earth. We talk about the world as this Earth. And, and then the Bible talks about the world as the, the world system, right? The, the ways of man, the, the, the world that is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. It's under demonic influence. But then there's the world of man, people. And so let's look at that. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. And, and this is that verse that people often uh, uh, talk about. Do not love the world are the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." And so in this text, in 1 John, what is he talking about when he talks about the world? Do not love the world or the things of the world. Well, he's talking about the world system. He's talking about the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye, eyes and the pride of life. Those things that, that mark this world that is under the control of, of Satan. Right? He's talking about loving the material things of this world. And giving to those things. You see, that's the, the world that is coming to an end. It's fading away. But, in John chapter 3, verse 16, says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so now god we're not to love the world or things of the world in first john but in the gospel of john jesus said god so loved the world but here the world is referring to mankind it's talking about people god so loved the world that whoever believes in him right and so when we talk about love our world, we're not talking about the world and the things of the world, the spirit of the world that leads us away from Christ, but we're talking about loving people, the people of the world, by taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We love them because God loved them, and he gave his only begotten son for them. So we love our world. We love the people of this world, and we want to... to 
to share the hope of Jesus Christ with our world. So we focus, when we say we love our world, we are people-focused. We are people-focused. We're focusing on, on people who are lost and need Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, I'm not going to turn there, I'm not going to read it, but Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is in the house of, of a Pharisee. And they've invited him there because, again, they want to trap Jesus. They're setting him up. And so they bring a man in who has dropsy. Now, dropsy is the, the old-fashioned term for anema, I think is how you spoke. It's basically retaining fluid. And so he, his, his limbs were swollen up from all the fluid that he was retaining. And so they bring this man in. It's a Sabbath day. They've invited Jesus over for dinner. And, and they brought this man with dropsy in. And they set him there because they're, they're going to test Jesus. Will he heal on the Sabbath? They've heard that he healed on the Sabbath. Now they're going to put him to the test. Will he heal on the Sabbath and break the rules of the Sabbath? And, and Jesus, he looks at it and he sees this man with dropsy. And he asked the Pharisees, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And they're just speechless. They don't know what to say. And he asked them, who among you, if his ox or his donkey fell in a well on a Sabbath, wouldn't go dig him out? Do whatever you had to do to get that animal out of the well. And then Jesus turned to the man with dropsy and he healed him. And the whole point of that was to help these Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these religious leaders to see that men are important. People are important. They're far more important than animals and, and the things of this world. Whatever we can value, people are important. People ought to be our focus to love people. Share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. Man, there are a lot of good things that we can do in this world. And there's a lot of good things that we could go out and, and we could get involved in our community and we could clean up road ditches and, and, and do this and that. And sometimes that's, that's something that we need to go do maybe. But, but that's not what's important. People are important. We have to invest in people. We have to minister to people. We have to be people-focused. And not only must we be people-focused, we must be gospel-focused. We must be gospel-focused. The goal, our goal, is not just to help someone out. That's a good thing to do. To go meet a need, that's a good thing to do. But if that's where we stop, if we just stop by meeting a physical need and leave a person hell-bound, what good have we done? We've improved their suffering for a moment. Remember what James showed us a couple of weeks ago, that big long rope with that little bitty piece taped off. That's our life, that little bitty piece. And, and so if we're so concerned with this little 
bitty piece of, of life here, then we're going to take care of needs, and we're going to help people out doing this, that, and the other, but we're going to neglect all of eternity if we don't share the gospel. Everything that we do, friends, everything that we do, must be for the sole purpose of sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with the lost. If that's not in there, if that's not our focus, then what good are we doing? Let's go join a social club somewhere, and, and let's go, I mean, the Lions, they're doing great stuff. Let's just go join the Lions Club. Or, or let's just go join the Optimus Club. They're doing some helpful things for our community, Right? But we're not just to help our community by doing things here and now that help the moment. We have eternity on our minds. We need to prepare people to meet their maker. So everything that we do, dear friend, must be focused on sharing the gospel with those who do not know Jesus Christ. We love our world through gospel-centered outreach, focusing on people and focusing on the gospel. Luke chapter 10 tells the story of, of Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary were sisters, and Jesus came to their house to visit. And as Jesus was, was there, he was teaching in the house, and, and Mary came, and, and she sat at his feet and just listened. She, she just, just took it in. Took it in, took it in. Jesus. Oh, I gotta hear Jesus. I gotta have some more Jesus. She was taking it in. Martha, she was busy about everything, right? She was washing the dishes and, and cooking the bread, and, and she was just busy all over the house doing this, that, and the other. And then finally, she just gets tired of it, and she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, look at all that I'm doing. I'm busy about the house, and Mary's just sitting here. Won't you tell her to get up and help me? And Jesus turns to Martha and says, Martha, Martha. You're concerned about a lot of good things, but you're neglecting the most important thing. Mary has chosen the best portion. Mary chose Jesus. She focused on Jesus. Church, we can get so busy about doing this, that, and the other that we miss the most important thing. Focus on Jesus. To share Jesus with a lost and dying world. We love our world through gospel-centered outreach. The best way we can love people is by sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with them. Whatever we do as far as, as service goes, we accomplish nothing. We don't share Jesus. We have to have that razor-sharp focus, dear church. We've got to have a razor-sharp focus to love our world. Love our world through gospel-centered outreach. And you know, as we talk about loving God, loving one another, and loving our world, not only is that our mission, but it's also our strategy. We want to bring people into a loving relationship with God so that they can love God. And then we bring them into the community so they can begin to love one another. And as they begin to grow in Christ and in their maturity in Christ, then they're going to go out with our life groups and with our church to love our world. 
And even as we go out and love our world, more people are going to come to know God and love God. You see, the cycle continues. Our mission and our our hope is that people will come to love God, love one another, and love our world. We must have an absolute sense of mission. As Zig Ziglar said again, outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. Christ has given us a mission. We exist to love God, love one another, and love our world in Christ. And one day, Scripture says that we will stand before God and we will give an account to Christ for what we have done, for all that He has given us to manage. We will give an account to Him as, as to how we used our facilities. As to how we use the finances He has given us to, to manage. As to how we use the manpower that He has brought here and collected here. We will have to stand before God and give an account for what we did with all that He had given us. Was it mission focused? Or was it on self? Boy, when I get there, I want Him to say, Outstanding! outstanding well done my good and faithful servant is that your hope is that your focus grab that absolute sense of mission your mission above everything else in life your mission as a follower of Jesus Christ is to love God first of all Love others, love one another, and to love our world, sharing the gospel with them. Everything else you do will fade away, but that has eternal consequences. Focus. Focus on the mission. Now for some, for some you haven't even started the journey. Because you've never come to to know Jesus and to trust in Him. And you need to start right there at step number one, to love God. And I want you to know today, dear friend, that Christ came to die for you. He gave His life for you so that you might have life in Him. He was raised again to show that, that He accomplished everything on your behalf. And there's nothing to do but to trust in Him. Turn away from your life that you've been living, your self-serving, world-centered life, and turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your life to Him, and He will save you. He will change you. He will give you new life. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the mission that you have given us. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. And Lord, I know today there must be some who've never trusted in Jesus. And I just pray today, Lord, that they would turn to Christ and know the love, Lord God, that you have for them. Change them today, I'll pray. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.